Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. We're continuing our teaching today in Romans, the heart of the gospel, where Dr. Newfeld will take a further look at why justification by faith is so important. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 4, verses 6 to 12, as we go back to the Bible with Dr. Newfeld? There's a story told of Martin Luther. I don't know if it's true, but if it's not, it really should be. Apparently he had a dream, and in his dream, the devil unrolled a large scroll containing a list of Luther's sins and held it in front of him. He just kept unrolling this amazingly long scroll, and he showed him every single sin on the list. And when Satan had gotten to the end of the scroll, Luther asked him, is that all? And the answer came in the form of a second scroll, and the second scene played out much like the first one. And then came the third scroll, and with that, the enemy of his soul was done. But the list, well, it was considerable. And then it was Luther's turn to try to justify himself. And in so doing, he turned to the devil and said, you've obviously forgotten something. And with that, he took each scroll and wrote in large letters, 1 John 1.7, on top of each scroll. And then a dejected devil left Luther once more. You know, what's in 1 John 1.7? It simply says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, I have a memory that takes me back a number of years. I was teaching at Columbia Bible College, and one of my students, a beautiful but tormented young woman, was struggling with her sins and with a sense of living under the torment and condemnation that that brings. She came to Christ in my presence, and afterwards she wrote me a long letter. In it, she told me of her experiences working in the bush country in northern B.C. She said during the rain, the mud would be everywhere and it would cling to her boots. And after a long day, she said her feet were so heavy and she was so tired. And then she said, but when I got home and I took those heavy boots off, then it felt like my feet were simply gliding along. I could almost fly. And then she said something that brought tears to my eyes. She said, that's how I felt the day I left your office. Finally, I was forgiven and all the sins that had clung to me were gone. I feel light and unburdened. I feel like jumping and running for joy. Every single human being carries a burden in their souls. I know that many people don't know what the burden is. They just feel like something's wrong. Some people even spend a lifetime trying to blame someone for what they're feeling. But sin sticks. You just, you just can't shake it off. No soap on earth can wash it away. And over time, we just get progressively heavy. That's why I love Romans 4, 6 to 8. Paul has been discussing an important truth. The way in which Abraham, a man who lived around 2000 BC, was counted righteous and forgiven was by a legal declaration of God. Theologians call this justification by faith. Simply put, God made Abraham impressive promises, and Abraham believed everything God told him. Then God simply declared him righteous. That's exactly how Abraham became righteous. The God who spoke the universe into existence spoke to Abraham and said, I declare you to be a righteous man. Of course, Abraham in his day didn't know how God could do that. It's only later that we find out that this came because of Christ's death. But at this point in Romans 4, Paul only wants to say that the father of the Jewish nation, the father of faith, became righteous not because of something he did. Rather, it came because God declared him to be righteous. And then reflecting on that reality, Romans 4, 6 to 8 adds these words. Just as David, also speaking of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
So please notice that in both Abraham's case and in David's case, these two men were counted righteous apart from anything they did. The word Paul uses is counted. David was counted as righteous. Then in verses 9 to 12, we will read those verses in a little while. Paul will use the word counted three more times. Abraham was counted righteous. David was counted righteous. And Paul says, anyone who believes is counted righteous. Those of you old enough to remember the King James Version will remember that the old English word here is imputed, so that the older Bible teachers call this the doctrine of imputation. But the word is an accounting term. Imagine your own finances in which you have a record of debits and credits. You get a paycheck, that's a credit. You buy a new car, don't have the money, take a loan, that's called a debit. Now imagine our sins as debits, and Christ's death on our cross is canceling our debits. But that only puts us at zero. Our debts are canceled. And of course, that's wonderful, but we still have nothing in our favor. All we can say is that that which was against us is now canceled. But here, says Paul, is not just that our debits are canceled. It's that a massive credit is placed into our account. Righteousness is imputed or credited or reckoned to our account. Those of you who know the old hymns will remember an old hymn from the 1700s. It was written by the German Count Zinzendorf. It's called Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness. Let me quote two verses. Zinzendorf wrote, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head. And then a later verse, when from the dust of death I rise to claim my mansion in the skies, even then this shall be my plea, Jesus hath lived and died for me. Now, most of us are quite familiar with the idea that Jesus has died for me, but it's this idea that Jesus has lived for me. This strikes some of us as being strange. I mean, what can that mean? Zinzendorf said it well when he pointed out that the blessings are not just Jesus' blood, but also Jesus' righteousness. Let me explain. If we skip ahead to Romans 5.17, Paul will explain this concept further. There he says, for if because of one man's trespass, and he means the sin of Adam there, so if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus granted us the gift of righteousness, and that came through his life. Put simply, when Christ died for our sins, our sin was imputed or credited or reckoned to Christ's account. Most of us know this well, but what is less well known is that when Christ lived, his righteousness was imputed or credited or reckoned to our account. So think of it this way. When Jesus resisted temptation, when he obeyed the Father in all things, his perfect record is reckoned to me. Many Bible teachers have called this the great exchange. My sins were reckoned to Christ, and he paid for them. Christ's righteousness is reckoned to me, and I'm rewarded for them. Now, that's a very good deal if you think about it. We need to be overwhelmed by the enormity of this. Once you see it, you'll never have enough words to express to God your gratefulness. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Now, says Paul, notice that David says something about this. And here he quotes a Psalm of David, Psalm 32, 1-2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. The word blessed is used three times in these three verses. If you want to get a sense of the word, imagine you're about 13 years old and you play on a hockey team. One day, Sidney Crosby, Corey Perry, and Steven Stamkos, all three of them show up, and all three take a skate with your team and pass the puck around a bit. And every kid's mouth is hanging open. Not one of them can take their eyes off of these guys. And finally, one of your guys says something every other player on your team was already thinking. He says, you know, one day I'm going to be just like one of those guys. Well, that's what's behind the word blessed. It means that you are in the most favored position imaginable. If people knew what you had, everyone would want to be in the same position you're in. Blessed is a state of happiness, but that doesn't quite get it. Blessed means that you're in such a favored position that if it were truly understood what you have obtained, all others would envy you. One day, I want to be just like that guy. But if you've come to trust in Christ, Christ alone for your salvation, that's exactly the situation you're in. It's been said of the cartographers, the map makers who followed Captain James Cook, that after he had done his work so thoroughly that all that those who followed after him were left to do was to admire his work. Don't you see, for all of us who have come to believe in Christ, that's all we can do, admire his work become thankful, be filled, overwhelmed with praise, never become tired of singing of your Redeemer and his wonderful love. Be overwhelmed that your faith is counted for righteousness. And above all, let us never insult our Redeemer by believing and acting as if there is something for us to do. Rather, simply believe and simply give thanks. See, that's why we are left with this wonderful privilege of worshiping Christ net result of the doctrine of salvation through faith in Christ and through faith alone leaves us overwhelmed with gratitude, leads to an amazing amount of hymns and choruses and worship songs and and acts of praise and everything else that happens. And before we ever know what this doctrine means, we haven't any understanding why people worship, but now we do, because this is what Christ has done. What a critical and significant concept to reflect on this great exchange that not only did Christ die in our place and take on our sins, but that he lived and fulfilled the law perfectly for us so that we could be counted righteous. If we consider this truth deeply, it ought to fill our hearts with gratitude beyond our words. After the break, Dr. Neufeld will unpack the question about whether indeed this promise is meant for everyone. Thanks for listening. You know, in an age where more young people are being lured away from believing in God and His Word, we must do all we can to engage them in ways that are meaningful and relevant. That's why In Doubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, has developed a mobile app to reach this generation with biblical truth. It's also a great resource for discipling young people that both youth pastors and leaders can use within their own church. To find out more, visit us at indoubt.ca and share this info with those you know. Now let's return to Dr. Neufeld and go back to the Bible. In Romans 4, Paul has been explaining a doctrine that is so important that if we forget it or deny it or ignore it, there is no hope for eternity. It is the doctrine of justification by faith. 
We've learned that God simply declares our sins forgiven and declares that we're righteous by a legal act. It's not that we have become gradually a little more righteous every day. It's rather a once and for all legal pronouncement. And this is a great blessing. But then comes an important question. Who is this blessing for? You remember that the Jewish-Gentile question is always just as the surface as we study Romans. So let's get to Romans 4, 9 to 12. There Paul writes, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, the question of circumcision is still a question in a number of countries around the world. In our country, it's primarily a question of health. I've noticed how often health professionals will change their minds on this one. But in the Bible, the question of circumcision is never about health. It's a matter that's first brought up in Genesis 17. God promises Abraham that he will establish his covenant with him and with his offspring. Genesis 17, 10 and 11 says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then afterward, the passage talks about the details. Circumcision is to happen when the baby boy is eight days old, and then it's to happen to all children, even those that are born in the Hebrew household, including the servants. And then there's a warning. Anyone not circumcised is to be cut off from his people because he has broken the covenant with God. And so circumcision is not given for health reasons, but as a sign of the covenant. And it really is a very graphic sign if you think about it. The male organ is cut or marked. The idea is that the head of the household has his sexual organ whereby he procreates for the next generation. This is marked so that it might never be forgotten that the reason for procreation is to assign the next generation to the Lord. You have dedicated by the very act of procreation the next generation as belonging to him. So the circumcised and the children of the circumcised were God's children. That's the symbol. And throughout their generation, circumcision became a sign of the covenant between man and God. Jews, both men and women, were helped to see this, for a faithful woman of God among the Jews would simply never marry an uncircumcised man. She would want her children to be under the sign of the covenant. But Paul has been speaking about justification by faith, and you get right with God through faith alone. But there would have been some Jews who might have agreed with Paul, but they would have added, yes, we are saved by grace, even through faith alone. But if you're not circumcised, well, we're we're never going to be a part of the people of God. And Paul responds, he says, well, just read your Bible. Genesis 15 records that Abraham was justified by faith, and Genesis 17 contains the command to be circumcised. At the very least, there were 14 years between those two events. In fact, some rabbis even argued that there were 29 years between those two events. 
That means that Abraham was saved, justified by faith when he was an uncircumcised man and walked around from 14 to 29 years as an uncircumcised man. So Paul rightly says Abraham is the father of the uncircumcised Gentiles as well as the circumcised Jews. And that means that circumcision is not required to be justified by faith. Abraham didn't require it for him to be justified by faith. I know that some of you are thinking, well, that's a nice little piece of historical lesson, but but what's that got to do with me? And please hear the answer. All of us need to hear this. We need to believe the promises that are made to us in the cross and that only those promises result in salvation. It doesn't matter which family you come from. It doesn't matter if you were raised in church or never darkened the doorway of one in your life. If you will simply hear that Christ died for your sins and that he lived for your righteousness, and if you believe that, you'll be saved. And if you were raised in church and trust in your religious activity to make you acceptable to God, and don't trust in Christ's blood and his righteousness alone, no matter what you've done, you're going to be lost. The only thing that matters is believing or entrusting yourself to God, not the church, not your own righteousness, not your own good deeds, but rather Christ alone and by faith alone. That's it. But if you're paying attention, what was God doing when he instigated circumcision among the Jewish people? Verse 11 says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. In other words, God gives external markers that remind us of internal spiritual reality. Some of my hearers are aware that passages such as this one and others have often been used in the debate regarding the practice of infant baptism and those who practice adult believers baptism. But let's put that debate aside. I mean, I grew up in a home where my father was a Mennonite, my mother was a Lutheran. And hey, that was a live debate in my home. I actually know both sides of that debate. But as I say, let's not raise that issue. We know that the New Testament Gentile believers are not required to be circumcised. We also know that for us, baptism has replaced circumcision as a sign of our faith. We know that the first ever Christian sermon preached at Pentecost had an altar call that went like this, repent and be baptized every one of you. And in truth, we should be baptized. It's an external sign of an internal reality. But here's the question. What happens to those who believe and are not baptized? I know that there are some who teach that every person who is unbaptized is eternally lost. I know of some who teach that unless you worship on Saturday or obey Old Testament dietary laws, you're lost. I know of some who teach that unless you have received certain sacraments, you're lost. And others who argue that their church is even the only true church. And and I hope you hear the plain teaching of the Bible on this matter. We should never add anything to the cross. Add back to the Bible. We follow the Bible teaching that what Christ did for us is sufficient. That means that his work, like those who saw the work of Captain James Cook, is simply to look and to admire. But in the case of Christ, we must do nothing more or less than look at what Christ has done. We must admire, we must believe. Anything more is blasphemy. Do you remember what Christ said on the cross? He said, it's finished. And when we add anything to his completed work, any one thing, it is if we approach Christ on the cross and explain to him that it really isn't finished at all. 
that we have some things that we need to do and we need to require of people that will complete or finish what he's left undone on that cross. There's wonderful news in the cross. Christ did it all. And you must bow your knee and surrender to his proclamation and say, just like Abraham, my father, if you say to me, I am justified by faith and I believe. I love what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. He said, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I know I spent a lot of uh, days here simply speaking about the issue of the cross and our believing in the cross. But I simply can't begin to stress this enough. There still may be individuals who are listening to my voice who simply haven't got it yet. May I urge you to look again at the cross and simply say, that is so beautiful, there's nothing I can add or subtract. My sufficiency is in what Christ has done for me. John, I like what you said when you said we should never add anything to the cross. And I know the point you're trying to get across, and it's a really important one, but sometimes we can confuse all of the stuff of our faith, all of the stuff of religion with what Jesus has actually done. What are you trying to say? What's, what's the main point of what you're trying to say in this message? I want us to discover what's bedrock and what are some of the things that sometimes honest, Christ-loving believers see differently. We all know that there are divisions between denominations and the way we think about certain things. I even hesitated to mention the issue of baptism because I know how hopelessly divided we are on that issue. Now, I, I hold to believers' baptism. I'll say that openly. But having said that and believing even in its importance, I don't think that ever supplants the work of the cross. And no matter what those things that some of us hold as hobby horses or things that we think is really important, there's something that's bedrock, that, that's underneath everything else. And, and that's what holds all true believers together. We believe that what Christ did on the cross ends it all. So that's, for me, that's that one issue that holds us all together. And that's the point I was trying to make. John, in conclusion, let me go back to Galatians 6.14, which you mentioned earlier. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Thanks, John, for sharing this important passage and this important message to us today. And please remember to return tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada. Do you agree? This is good news indeed, that Christ's work on the cross was all sufficient to save ruined sinners like you and me. I hope that this message has enriched and encouraged you in your walk. Let us be mindful to live our lives constantly in total admiration and belief in what he's done. Nothing less, nothing more, and nothing else. Tomorrow, we'll continue talking about the meaning of true faith in Romans chapter 4 with Dr. John Newfeld. If you're enjoying Dr. Newfeld's teaching, then you'll want to take advantage of a free CD offer this March. In this season leading up to Easter, Dr. Newfeld has brought together a great series called Journey to the Cross, and it's sure to enrich and bless your consideration of the events of Easter. Dr. Newfeld will share messages using a combination of all four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a perfect resource for your own study, or with a small group, or even just to share with a friend. 
So get your free CD series today. And as an added bonus, we want to send along an Easter reflection card you can use as a chronological reading plan for the events leading up to the cross and Jesus' triumphant resurrection. Use this card or pass it on to someone you know. So to receive your Journey to the Cross CD series and the Easter Reflection card, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or write us at Box 246, Station A, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V2T 6Z6. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.